Blog Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad, with your breakfast toast. Bring you that breakfast toast. Abel Calamino, Chad Wilson here with you. We're going to give you a very early Super Bowl pick on the show today. We're not entirely sure we're going to be available for you on Friday. Both me and my esteemed co-host, Amo Calamino. So, hey, look, the pick's in the bag, all right? Uh, what's all that stuff Chick Hearn used to say? The butter's getting hard. Yeah, well, I mean, let's be on, let's be honest. Do we really need do we really need two weeks between the game? Come on. Yes, I think we do. Man. We need two full weeks of promotion and uh, massaging and all that. And then you gotta you gotta do the Pro Bowl before the Super Bowl now because uh, no one's gonna watch it if you do it after the Super Bowl game. Isn't that what the data presented to us? Did you watch that thing last night? Well, well, there's no one didn't watch it last night, so <laughs> so they're that theory. I mean, I caught a little bit of it. I mean, if you're a football purist, what are the, what are the what what are the reasons that you would watch the Pro Bowl? Let's throw some out there, Emil. Um, your wife has a chick flick on in the other room. I don't know. Why would you watch? No, no. The best thing that happened that I saw was a video of Elliot tackling some guy that ran on the field. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think this is? You, the thing with the Pro Bowl, why has it declined in interest over the years? I, I have a bit of a theory, but, I, you know, um, and I, I think it has a lot to do with free agency. I think back in the day you watched the Pro Bowl um, because there was such an allegiance with uh, players to particular teams that um, you had a little bit more of a love for the individual player and watching them in that type of arena atmosphere and so on and so forth. And now I just don't think you have that anymore. And uh, that's I mean, there's, the there's probably some truth to that. There was a certain team by team pride back then. I think, you know, sure. where and, you can't, yeah, like you right. said, you care. You always were in the NFC more than likely. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, the, the, no, that, there's probably something to that, but we're going back. I mean, you got to remember, we have an audience here. Many of them can't remember that. So it's almost, you know, because free agency hit big time in the early 90s. So you got guys that are in their, that are 30 years old right now. They were born in 1986, 1987. They never remember what we're talking about, where a guy would just be on a team by and large for his entire career, or at least a good chunk of it. So as you said, there was a little bit more pride. There's not. It's the same thing with the baseball all-star game. It's the same deal. I think the other thing too, Emil, is that, uh, and let's be honest, this is probably the biggest factor that you have a ton of other options. Okay. You're not, you know, back then um, you had channels two, four, and seven. um, And then a couple of, a couple of uh, off the channels and okay. you, You didn't have a ton of options. Now you've got a ton of options. There's a million cable channels. 
Um, you've got Netflix, you've got Hulu, you've got Amazon, you've got all kind of things, and people are wrapped up into, uh, you know, their binge watching of their shows, and so maybe I don't need to watch a meaningless Pro Bowl game. I can go catch up on, uh, you know, some series that I've been watching, whether that's Homeland or Game of Thrones or whatever the heck it is that you're into. Um, let me go catch up on those things uh, right now. That's probably the biggest factor. Well, yeah, it, I think I think we're all looking. I don't think there's any one factor. I think it's everything you laid out. And, you know, it's also the nature of, you know, t- take a look at basketball and baseball. When they have an all-star game, even though the guys aren't trying, it's not that they're not trying because of injury. It's because they're lazy. I mean, in basketball, no one wants to play defense. And, in you know, in baseball, you have pitchers throwing for an inning. They probably try the hardest only because a guy's out there for an inning and he doesn't want to look like an idiot. Football this is a sport where at any time you can get a serious injury. These guys just want to get out of this game without getting hurt. I mean, I just pulled up the stats because I was curious when you brought up the, the game. I mean, the NFC had seven sacks yesterday. I go through this, this box score, and I'm, you know, if I didn't watch the game, I'd swear they won the game. But then I just look. There's not many rushing attempts in the game because no one really wants to get physical in a game like this. You can't blame them. The NFC ran the ball 15 times. The AFC ran it 19 times. It's essentially a seven-on-seven drill. You know, with some light tackling and pads and helmets. It's, it's so, you really going to devote three hours of your life to that? No, no. And, and uh, I mean, you know, it's difficult. And they're trying to find all kinds of ways um, to, to, to make the game more interesting, drawing more eyeballs. But, but why, think- Chad? Why not just let the game go the way of the dodo bird, as we say, and say, you know, it's no longer applicable in today's game the amount of money that are inve- is invested in these guys. I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan. How would I? Feel, how would Jerry Jones feel if Ezekiel Elliott blew his knee out in that game? Yeah, but hey, are we going to get into that whole game about, you know, we're, we're worried about injury, like injury becomes a reason not to do everything now. It's a reason for you not to play your third year in college. It's a reason for you not to go to play in an all-star game. It's the reason for you not to participate in a, in a band at the pro. I mean – I mean, pretty soon. Well, but, take, but take your take your Chad, take your Chad, the coach, fan hat off, and now pretend you own a team. You're, you, these are not guys that you're paying seventy grand a year in 1978 to anymore. Okay, you you've got guys out here that you you've written checks for ten and twenty and thirty million dollars. They they not only help your team win, they promote your brand. Okay, you lose a guy in the Pro Bowl that's out the following season, that hurts your brand. So now you got to you got to look. You, you know, I understand what you're saying that sometimes we, we go over the top with that stuff, but I think at some point we have to also look and say let's be let's be realistic. We have huge investments, and this is not a sport like I said, not a sport like basketball or baseball where a few guys in the course of a regular season, other than maybe pitchers in baseball, suffer season-ending injuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I get it, but man, you could, you could hurt your knee doing playing a pickup basketball game. I mean, what do you, what do you guys, you want? To I know, I like, understand. Sure, or I, I don't. What do you do when the season's over? I, did you see? Did I watched some of the game? Uh, it was totally a game played in pad um, with a bunch of guys trying not to get hurt. That's what I. Watched. Of course, because you could, you could see that. I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, nobody wants to be the guy that in the Pro Bowl 
hurts a guy and puts him out for the season, and no one wants to be the guy getting hurt. I mean, no one, you know, most of these guys, there's a certain brotherhood. I mean, they understand the risk they're taking. No one wants to be that guy that lays, you know, that does a, a Chuck Bednarik on Frank Gifford in, in in the Pro Bowl. It just doesn't look good. It's a bad look. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I understand that. Uh, so what do you what do you suggest? Let's do away with the Pro Bowl. Just name them. Just name an all an all pro team and call well, it that. Listen, if you want to make it a fan experience, let's. How about we do this? Now this is going to sound a little crazy to you. Maybe. We do a fan experience. You ever talk to fans? Like, you're down there in spring training area down there, and you talk to baseball fans. They love spring training, a lot of them, because they go down, they get to interact a little bit more with the players. Um, the players are loose because, you know, it's spring training. Let's face it, they're going to be there six weeks, and they don't need six weeks because all these sports are year-round sports anymore. So it, it's a good experience. Why not turn this into almost a fan week? People go out, and they have a skills competition on the, the day of the game. You know, a quarterback, you can make stuff up. I don't care. You know, I mean, almost in a mini combine. Let, quarter, let quarterbacks throw balls. But the fans who go could go down and actually, you know, get closer to the players, interact with them. The players wouldn't be worried about getting hit and hurt. They'd be in Hawaii with their families getting some sun for a week. And you can make it more of a fan a fan experience, something like that. I think, you know, they got to do something. And I'd be leaning more to what uh, – I don't know. You know what, Amo? What's wrong with what's wrong with what they just did yesterday? I'm looking at a clip right now. Of, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at a clip right now of, of from the game, and uh, Jay Ajay, the Dolphins running back, uh, carried the ball, and uh, looks like a couple of Vikings grabbed him on the play. They've got his feet off the ground, and whistles are obviously blowing, but they're clowning around here, and they're holding his. He's got everything off the ground, legs, feet, everything, and uh, he just puts his arms out like Superman as they walk him back five yards and just drop him, you know, clowning around. Isn't this what goes on in the NBA All-Star game? So do we need to do anything or just leave it like this? I mean, I, I guess you could leave it like that. I'm just telling you, I don't know what the ratings are or what they get, but, I mean, I love football probably as much as you, right? You know me a long time. And I didn't see one play live in that game. The only thing I saw was what came up on my phone when I saw you know, something pop up on Bleacher Report where they showed Elliot chasing the guy, which I thought was pretty funny. But other than that, and I love football. I just, uh, it's not something I can watch. Maybe, maybe, maybe Amo, this Pro Bowl game isn't for guys like you and I. Maybe it is for the fringe fans, the ones that they've ripped away from those other channels. You know, I talk about that all the time. Uh, the guys that they grabbed uh, from the Bravo channel, because I describe, I describe television as this right now with all these cable channels. It's a bunch of people walking down a hallway, and all of these channels are just rooms. And um, you're trying to grab them out of uh, the room and put them into your room. That's basically what it is. So maybe, maybe that's I mean, it, what it is. might be, and you might you might be onto something there with what you're saying. I mean that that may be what I, I'm guessing that's their target. I can tell you, as someone like yourself, you know, as we remember when there was 12 channels when cable first came out. Um, Watching satellite television right now is actually a chore for me because there's so many choices and most of them suck. So, so a lot of times I'm left with if I don't have sports, you know, I'm I'm left either I'm watching something with politics and then I get angry or depressed, or I'm searching for stuff on the History Channel because there's just there's a lot of garbage on there. So I guess this just adds to that pile as you're thinking maybe they can pull you out of your garbage room into this garbage. 
Yeah, I mean, they got to put something on, don't they? So uh, maybe that's what it is. And, and then, uh, man, you don't, you're not going to have earth-shattering, um, you know, ratings for an all-star game, NBA, NFL, MLB. You're just not going to do that. And so maybe that is, you know, on, in the absence of anything else, you don't have any more playoff games and you don't have – this isn't the Super Bowl week. You just put something on and this is what you get. And you're not going to break the bank in advertising for the – you know what I would guess is the best-watched all-star game in this? is just, just if I had a guess. I have no, no knowledge here. I'm going to guess the NBA. I'm going to tell you why. It's midseason. It's a sport that lends itself that you can kind of play half-clowning around and show off some skills, and those guys go show off some mad skills with some crazy dunks and shooting three-pointers from 30 feet away and all that crazy stuff. And it's, it's somewhat watchable because the stars don't have helmets on. You can see them laughing and having fun. Um, you know, the baseball one, I was probably more like you years ago. I got into it when guys stayed in the same league for a long time. So to me, it was a big deal, the, you know, the National League versus the American League, and there's a little bit of a rivalry. I don't feel that anymore because I think guys change teams so often that it, it, it's almost rendered itself, you know, meaningless. But uh, I, I just, this is a game, like I said, if I was going to watch any of the three, probably for any amount of time, probably just be the NBA game to watch them clowning around. Well, you know what? Uh, it's a wonderful world we live in, so we get to look these things up, and we'll see if, in fact, you are uh, correct in that. And I'm currently looking this up right now. I did, I did uh, NBA and MLB, um, but let's, let's see, Mr. Calamino, if you are indeed. Uh, correct with that. Let's take a look. I have a feeling the Pro Bowl probably wins, but you know what? What? What the hell? We'll, you think we'll the Pro Bowl that. wins just because it's football, huh? Because it's football, and that's just the most popular sport, and you know. That's, yeah. That's how that whole thing works. So we'll see. I'm 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 almost there. As soon as I get rid of all the ads on these stupid pages, that's the other thing too. Now, you know what? You know what annoys me? If I could just go off topic here, when you want to read an article now online. Um, you're either going to be faced with a, a pop-up ad that you can't find the X for to, to, to get it the hell off the screen, or uh, the simple two-paragraph uh, article is turned into a slideshow that you've got to slide to six pages to get through two freaking paragraphs. Just really. Oh, yeah, I know. Man. It's crazy. You read a lot online, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know. I said it's crazy. I, I totally agree. Well, okay, uh, I did look this up, and uh, sorry to tell you, 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 you came up short on that one. Uh, did I? Just 2016, if the numbers that I'm seeing here is correct. Uh, the Pro Bowl, while it's declining in numbers, and I don't have, these are 2016 numbers, so, you know, I don't, I don't have anything, obviously, for last night's Pro Bowl, and, you know, we're yet to, to get to the NBA right. Major League Football. So, the 2016 NBA uh, All-Star Game drew a 4.3 uh, rating. Uh, the Major League Baseball uh, All-Star Game drew, drew a 5.4, and the uh, the uh, Pro Bowl drew a 5.6. So by the slimmest of margins, the Pro Bowl beat out the Major League Baseball uh, All-Star Game. And you know what I think that's about, Emil? The uh, ratings on the Major League Baseball, that's a slow time of the year. I mean, your options well, are a little bit less. 
your options are limited. And what does that say? Because baseball, up until this next one, I think they're getting rid of that rule, tried to make the All-Star game meaningful by giving home field advantage to the to the World Series, and yet the Pro Bowl, with a bunch of guys horsing around, still outdrew it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. They, I, I think they did something with the Pro Bowl, though, this year, in which you know, there was more money given or something to that effect if you were the winning team. They, did, they tried to do something there. They're trying everything that they can with these. Uh, all-star games in, in all of the leagues to try and draw an interest. I dare not look at what the uh, – what do you think the, what do you think the NHL uh, jumped up in that? The NHL, I mean, years ago was on the outdoor network. I don't know. Would it have a one rating or something? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to go look it up right now. I'll tell you what. I'll <laughs> hey, come on. I'm going to look that bad boy up. So uh, we'll do that. In- I, I mean, they had a game. They had an all-star game. I don't even know how they do their all-star game now. Um, let's see. They have, what is this, Central versus Pacific, Metro versus Atlantic, Metro versus Pacific. What, they have an all, a round robin? Oh, they actually did the all-star game like a tournament. Oh, my God. They, they had the Central play the Pacific in the first round of the NHL all-star game, and the Pacific won 10-3. Then they had the Metro play the Atlantic, the Metro won 10-6, and then the Metro beat the Pacific yesterday 4-3. So what the heck? What, the, what is that all about? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they played. They, it literally has three games here. Maybe they only did one period for each game or something crazy. The The NHL literally has three games here, and they were yesterday. Yeah, well. well that's crazy. That's not. Yeah, I'm not even going to bother looking that thing up, do I? I mean. No, I mean, like there... I said, Chad, it was on the Outdoor Network a few years ago. I don't think we need to look <laughs> that up. I thought you were a joke. I thought that was a joke. No. It wasn't a joke. A few years ago, the Outdoor Network had the, the NHL deal. Now, they've they've been moving on up like the Jeffersons. But, but I mean, they were on the Outdoor Network. From this article, the 2016 NHL All-Star Game on NBCSN was the most watched and highest rated All-Star Game in the network's history, averaging 1.595 million viewers and a .9 household rating. So there you go. I said, what did they get, a one? I mean, I wasn't. everybody thinks I'm just they being a jerk. I said, what did they get, a one? I was close. I didn't quite exactly get that, but nevertheless, that's what you got, NHL rates. Uh, you know, I think we've... Uh, I think the the show is sliding down a pole here when we're talking about NHL. I think we've just turned off every viewer we possibly have. So let's get this thing back on. We're going to go take a break. When we get back, it's Super Bowl prediction and analysis time, and I'd be very, very shocked if uh, my co-host and I are not on the same side in this game. Are we? We'll find out when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. 
Speed is what you need. So hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. To all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen. Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over 600000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and, get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! What one play would you like to banish from your memory? I like to take the hit, hit, hit with Chad Clifton away. He lays out Clifton. Oh, he launched himself on that one. And then that. But the guy, he hurt. He got hurt. He hit the ground and he was in the hospital and. You know, he expressed that he would have liked me to call him, and... Clifton wasn't looking, and Sapp, Sapp laid him out. Laid him out, and then, you know, uh, you know, Sherman had something to say to Sapp after the game. Sapp was asking him, if, well, you know, if you're so tough, to put a jersey on or something to that effect. Yeah, I, I kind of remember. Was that was that in the late 90s? I'm trying to remember when that happened. Please don't make me recall the year. It's not going to be a good yeah. thing for either one. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, I kind of. I remember that. I do. Yo, not culture, Abel. Uh, where you know Sap and I came from playing ball. That's, that was nothing. I mean, you're not looking. Have your head on a swivel. You're gonna get cleaned up out here. So. You know, yeah, you know, really I, I've always I've always wondered about that in football, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, I can only imagine if I was around the football field myself with a bunch of guys that were 250 and bigger, you bet my head would be on a swivel. So I never got running down the field where you were just kind of coasting and figuring that no one was going to hit you. So I, I personally, I didn't understand it. But yeah, hey, so that's people just me. want to call stuff like that, cheap shots or whatever. And I'm not going to argue with anyone who says that. But really, um uh, in our world, listen, you give us a helmet and shoulder pads for the, and, and, and two, three hours, we're trying to kick as much ass as possible during that time. You know, whatever, <laughs> I mean, whatever we got going on, we're laying it out right there on that field. And, you know, if you're a division rival, and we're the, I'm the Tampa Bay Bucks and you're the Green Bay Packers, and we're at the top of our game here, and, man, and I'm, I'm a buck, I don't like anything. In, in, in Packer uh, gold and green. Well, now, wait a second now. See, here's your problem. You're doing a radio show, and you're forgetting your demographic who may be listening in that most of them don't even they're, – they, they're thinking right now that you're tripping, that you're down there again with your Bloody Marys in the morning. They're saying, what do you mean a division rival, the Buccaneers and the Packers? They don't remember that. Well, they do need to remember that both of these teams at one point were in the same division – um, how that happens, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, uh, weather, uh, proximity, uh, couldn't be more opposite. They were in the same division, and they were both very good around this time. It was the Packers and it was the Bucks back and forth, and it was Warren Sapp, Jason, Brett Favre, and they had a little bit of a strange, friendly relationship, um, considering one was a quarterback and the other one was trying to really get after and hurt the quarterback. Um, and, you know, listen, when you're battling like that and it comes down to us or you every year in terms of making the playoffs or trying to get to the, you know, NFC championship game, I don't like anything in green and gold. So if there's an interception and um, you're floating around and you're not looking, um, I'm going to lay you out. And you got hurt. I feel bad about that. But, you know, we used to say it all the time on our practice field, keep your head on the swivel. And we, we were teammates. So if we're in a period, uh, a, a team period, or even a scrimmage, and something went down, man, you're going to get laid out if your head's not on a swivel. And then not only that, we're going to laugh about it in the team meeting room when we play the film. We're going to make this – we have Let me this ask noise. you, did you, guys, did you guys – were the kickers eligible to be laid out? Like say, say you were doing a kickoff practice, you know, coverage. Practice, I'm on nothing really involving kickers was, was really live. I mean, on the rare gotcha. occasion you would try to give a kicker a, a feel of a live rush, perhaps on a field goal, but nothing else was live. You don't do live field, you don't do live kickoffs, you don't really do a live rush on your punter because you don't have a whole bunch of punters. You got a, one punter that could really do it, you got one guy who can place kick that can really do it, and you just can't get those guys hurt. Um, plus, you know, there's a lot of injuries um, you know, on special teams. And if you let some of this, the, the hooligans and madmen that we had on But if somebody going, intercepted a pass in a team period and they were running it back and it was live, everybody was, everybody was fair game at that point. Head on a swivel, man. How else are you going to learn that yeah. for a game? Head on a damn swivel. I don't know what it is now. We've pansified. 
Um, and that's a new word I want put in Webster's. We pansified this game. But in the time you might have to go there, Urban Dictionary with that, buddy. I don't think Webster's giving you pansified. That might go straight to the Urban Dictionary and then maybe make its way up to Webster. I'm going to plan to have that one put in. But listen, uh, you might be the guy in the locker right next to me. So you're a wide receiver and I'm a DB. And we are in a locker right next to each other. And Gino Toretta throws an interception. And uh, I'm running down the field, and you're a wide receiver, and you're chasing my guy with the ball, and you don't see me coming. Blue, you're getting knocked. I mean, and if your helmet came off, that And then you're laughing at him. And and then you're telling me you're laughing at the poor guy. I'm going to sell you out like you're from Florida State. And we'll laugh about it later, (laughs) you know, of of course, if you didn't get seriously hurt. But that's the deal, man. That's just how this thing works. So, Uh, yeah. It is what it is. So a nice little tangent. Well, let's there. put our heads on. Let's put our heads together on a swivel and talk about this Super Bowl for a second here. Yeah, let's let's get on this thing uh, and talk about it because uh, it's kind of important, isn't it? So we've got yeah, Bill that's Belichick. What, that's what they tell uh, us. Emil, have they have they literally been in this thing every other year? Damn, it sure seems like that. The Patriots are making their ninth uh, trip to the Super Bowl, which will place them first ahead of the Steelers with eight and the Cowboys with eight. They are now the leader in uh, trips to this game. This will be their seventh trip to the big game under Tom Brady. Uh, the other two, uh, you know, were the 80s and 90s. Hey, hey you there? Yeah, for a yes, younger audience, yeah, just understand that the New England Patriots – did make an appearance. Um, they made a couple of appearances to the Super Bowl prior to um, the whole Brady Belichick thing. So uh, yeah. they went once against what some believe is the best defense to ever play in the NFL, and that uh, turned out to be a disaster for them. What was that? What, did they get shut out? I don't remember. Forty-six nothing. No, it was like forty-six ten. They played. They played the Chicago nineteen eighty-five Chicago Bears. And I use the word play very loosely there. Uh, they were basically, you know, the cone that the Bears ran over in that game, and, you know, in the parking lot. It was 46-10. Steve, I think Steve Grove, no, Tony Eason, whose son is now uh, the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. I believe Tony Eason was the quarterback that game for the, yes. for the uh, Patriots. Yeah, he he was indeed. I think filling in for Grogan, there was something going on there, if I could remember that. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, you know, a little history here again for the younger audience. The Patriots came into the AFL in 1960, and then obviously as they started playing Super Bowls and merged and everything, the, they were by and large up until the mid-'80s, other than a season here and there, a doormat. I mean, they had these cool uniforms with the guy snapping the ball on the side of a helmet, and that was all they had going on up there. I mean, they were – not very good most of the time, you know, was, like I said, aside from a season here and there. Uh, then they bottomed out in the early 90s. I mean, they I think they went 1-15 or 2-14, and 14, and that's when they were able to draft Curtis Martin and Drew Bledsoe. They were bad, really bad, a couple of years in a row. In came Bill Parcells. He got the franchise in, going in the right direction, let's put it that way. Uh, they made the Super Bowl again in 1990, right after the 96 season. Um, right. And they played the Packers, lost by a couple touchdowns, but it was a fairly competitive game. Parcells was the coach; he moved on from that point, you know, um, you know, and then yeah, so they had a little bit of a transition like a from. 
table because I know a lot of people think uh, all of the Patriots, you know, for our younger crowd, think all of the Patriot appearances in the Super Bowl came with Brady and Belichick, and that's not true. They had a couple of appearances uh, prior yeah. to the whole. Yeah, that was, they made they made two. They made two. Then Pete Carroll was the coach for a couple of years, and then finally you got Belichick. So, you know, they had yeah. a little transition from Parcells to Carroll to Belichick, and that's where we stand today. I do, I do need to correct you on something uh, because I made the same mistake also when he first really came on the scene and became a prospect. Uh, you talked about Jacob Eason, the quarterback for Georgia, whose father's name is Tony Eason. But he's not, in fact, the Tony Easton that played for the New England Patriots. And I did also make that mistake. I just made Oh, that really? Assumption. I thought that was his son. No, no, it is, it's not. Uh, his father's name is Tony Easton. He played quarterback at the University of Notre Dame, but he is not the Tony Easton that played oh. for the New England Patriots. I did also make well, that thank mistake. Well, you. You, thank you. You just saved me. You just saved me. Uh, you, and you also gave me something at a family dinner because my one son-in-law happens to be for some reason, he's from New Jersey. He's a huge Georgia fan, and now I will be able to toy with him on that and tell him that nope, you're wrong. Yeah, man, not 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 the same guy, different Tony. Uh, but uh, Jacob Eason, obviously a, a quarterback with a great amount of um, potential there for the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, let's talk about this game, Emil. Uh, we spoke a little bit last time out about the uh, line on this contest that. It seems rather low, and, you know, we get spooked out sometimes, and we've talked about it, and obviously we've done some 20 weeks of predictions here on this show with the NFL, and uh, let's just be honest, we're, we didn't kill it this year in the NFL. We're right around 50%, um, so we're pedestrian in our picks, but we do have a tremendous amount of experience in doing this, and sometimes we'll say that you do get kind of psyched out by a, a line, and given what New England has accomplished in the NFL and, and what Brady and Belichick uh, has accomplished in the NFL, one might get psyched out by the line being only New England by three. But then when you toss in what Atlanta has been able to do, especially over the second half of this season and then how offensive they've been, you start thinking maybe Atlanta uh, should have been a favorite in this game. And, and, and you know, Vegas has this big conundrum where – uh, they're not trying to figure out who is the better team and who's going to actually win this game. they got to put a number that uh, is going to draw enough bets on both sides and even things up. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think with, with a team as public as New England at this point, I mean, they're one of the four or five most public teams in the NFL along, you know, with the Packers, Steelers, and Cowboys. I mean, you know, when they throw those teams into games, they're going to get action based on the fan base and based on the perception, you know, so, uh, and so I think you're right on there. I don't, I don't think you could dare even, even if you had it graded that way, try to make Atlanta the favorite here. Cause I don't think the public will see it that way necessarily. No, no, they may or may not. I think, I really think odds makers had a tough job in, in this game. They more, um, uh, trying to put a line out there because of a, a lot of things that work. You've got the whole Brady Belichick thing. Um, and then you also have a, a, a very flaming hot team like the Falcons, who destroyed um, another hot team in their championship game, and a, a Falcons team that's put up the most points uh, this season, and you know how much the public loves offense. So you had to play those two things off of each other and try and figure out what would be the best number. I'd be interested as the week goes along to find out just how 
uh, well the odds makers did with this number in, in trying to balance both sides of this thing. The line hasn't moved much, if at all, to be honest. No, you know, th- this is one of those situations where I don't care. One of the other reasons besides pure boredom that I don't care for the two weeks between the game. Um, if you got two weeks off before your first playoff game, you earn that based on your record. I don't like, number one, giving a second two-week period off for these teams. And I also think in a game like this is a classic example going into it. On on the surface, I think the two weeks off hurts the Falcons way more than the Patriots. Um, How so? Well, they were hot. You know, and, you know, they're obviously the underdog based on pedigree in this game. I felt like they had a lot of momentum coming out of that NFC Championship game. And now we're going to, you know, number one, make them sit around a couple weeks. They're, they haven't been in this spot like the Patriots before. The Patriots know how to handle that, that, that extra week. And I just think in this specific case, you get a guy like Belichick, you know, you let him sit around and play with tape for an extra week. Football's played every week. I mean, other than that two-week period with the playoffs, where you earn the buy, I mean, it's an every week sport. I don't know why then all of a sudden the biggest game of the year, we decide that it should be another two weeks. Yeah, I'm sure they have their reasons. Uh, and we'll, you know, one promotion. Day to- it's simple. They want to promote the game. I get it. It's, 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 it's money driven. I think, but I think in the end of the day, you're making guys sit around for two weeks and talk about this game on, on channels like the NFL network and, you know, for two weeks is a long time to talk about any single event. There's only so much you can talk about for two weeks. Yeah, my, most definitely. You're right about that. Um, i got to ask you this. Who are the most, uh, before we dive into, you know, our thoughts and analysis and, and ultimately our prediction on this game, um, who, are your, who are your most, if I can use this term, lovable losers um, in, in, in Super Bowl history? And before you just quietly jump on the uh, Buffalo Bills who lost four straight in the early 90s. You do have to consider the Minnesota Vikings who went a whole lot in the 70s and came up with nothing. You know, lost to the Chiefs, lost to the Dolphins, lost yeah. to the Steelers, to the Raiders. I mean, they, they, they lost to a bunch of guys. Uh, you also have the Denver Broncos who went to Super Bowls and lost Emil in spectacular fashion. I mean, when they yeah. lost, they lost with Flair, 39-20, uh, 55-10, 42-10. I mean, they went all out when they lost games. And uh, so oh, when they, yeah, when they lost, when they lost, they got absolutely hammered. Um, no, there's no doubt about it. The Broncos, uh, you know, Broncos that lost 43-8. Yeah, but here's here's my most, you know, you name some good ones, okay? But the Broncos. You know, despite their, you know, falling short those first four times they, they got there, um, they had some players here, you know, I mean, and, and they've since won three Super Bowls, so it's hard for me to make them a lovable loser. The Vikings and the Bills, while both of them lost four Super Bowls, what gets lost in that in the American culture is we make them like they were losers. They were actually both excellent teams with many, many Hall of Fame players, so it's hard to call them a lovable loser. Mine is the Cincinnati Bengals of the 80s. They got there twice. Um, both times uh, they, they played the 49ers and had their hearts absolutely b- broken. The first time was after the 81 season. That was the famous catch by Clark against the Cowboys, which sent them to the Super Bowl. They played a close game. I think it was in Detroit. 
um, and San Francisco beat them. I want to say it was 26-21. It was a really a, a, a tight ball game. I, I remember a fumble deep in, in early in the game. I think it was the Bengals who fumbled deep in San Francisco territory. I forget, but very tight ball game. And then six, seven years later, after the 88 season, lo and behold, they, they run into Joe Montana and the 49ers again. Um, the Bengals get a spectacular kickoff return in that game. They take a lead into the uh, the fourth quarter of the ball game, into the final three minutes. They're up 16-13, and that was the famous Joe Montana gets in the huddle uh, before the last drive, looks over, sees John Candy, I think it was, in the first row, makes the whole team laugh, say, hey, I can't believe we're at the Super Bowl. Look at John Candy's over there, the late John Candy, the comedian, and he drives them down the field and they win the game. But they were lovable. I think that was the Icky Woods was on that team. Am I right? Was it Icky Woods, the shuffle? Yeah. It was the Icky Woods team. So did, and I do remember distinctly that last drive, and it was a thing of beauty. It was uh, it was, it was was artistry. They just went down the field like, okay, guys, let's just go win this thing. We've been dicking around here. Uh, let's just go close this thing out with these Bengal guys. That's what it just seemed like. Yes. Yes, it, it really it was it was but that so to me they were lovable losers. Sam Weish liked to throw the ball over the place. Um, that team was kind of fun to watch. Uh, most people who at the time the 49ers were a lot like the Patriots are now. So if you weren't a 49er fan, you were probably rooting for the Bengals. Oh, there's a good chance. So uh, they were lovable losers to me. Um, yeah, I guess you could call it that. What's the legacy, Emil? Um And again, we're going to get into. The, uh, the the prediction and analysis here, but what's the legacy for the Patriots if they were to lose here and uh, maybe not return again in the, in the Belichick-Brady era? Because as it stands right now, the Patriots, this is their ninth appearance. They're 4-4 four four all-time in Super Bowls, and Brady and Belichick are 4-2. So let's say they go out at 4-3. What's, what's, the, what's the legacy for these guys? Oh, still the greatest quarterback uh quarterback coach combo probably in the history of the league uh, you, you, our society really you know d- don't get me wrong i mean you want to win the game obviously but our society really hammers people for losing things like the super bowl and the world series and you forget you know you're in this league where it's hard just to get there you know you're one of the two best teams to you know to get to that game seven times together even if they lose and they end up four and three um for me, jeez. You don't still want to go uh, Chuck Noll, Terry Bradshaw, or you don't, you don't want to go Montana and, and Walsh. I mean, these guys were undefeated in this thing. Yeah, but unde- you know, undefeated, you have to get points. These guys won it four times, and then they got kept getting there. I mean, you know, just, just you know, you know, there's a theory I've, I've, you know, since we have some time, interject this theory I've heard with a couple GMs in baseball, one of which is the one of my team. Uh, Friedman, the guy who came over from Tampa a few years ago, Harvard guy, smart guy. And he says, listen, you know, when you get into the playoffs in baseball or any sport, to some degree it's a little bit of a crapshoot because he said they're not long-term experiments. They're small samples. Now, he said, I'm not saying you don't have to be great to win, but he said, I'm saying a bad bounce here and there in a close game can cost you a championship. So he said the best way to win championships is to make yourself viable so every year you're in the thick of it. Because the, obviously, he said, the more times you get to participate, the better chance you're going to win some championships. And, you know, I, I, I give credit to the Patriots because they have just consistently put themselves in a position. 
you know, these two guys together now seven times with the chance to walk away with the ultimate prize. And for me, especially in this era, Chad, we are in such an era of parity. We talk about it every August. We try to make our picks. Um, you know, we get some of them right usually. And then sometimes we're just way off. We just don't see something coming. And I think to get there as much and as consistently as they have, man, you got to tip their cap, the, the cap to these guys. <laughs> Do you find this interesting, Emil? Um, all the NFL seems to have done over the last decade uh, and, and maybe the last 15 years is try to make the game as even, as fair, as, uh, and try to get as much parity as possible. All that college football has tried to do over the last two decades with the NCAA is try to make things as fair as possible with all of their rules and regs and everything else. And um, what we have at this point is the Patriots at the Super Bowl every other year and Alabama playing for a championship seemingly every year. For all of your parity and all of your attempts to even things out, uh, ultimately we have the same peoples, uh, we have the same teams and franchises and programs uh, playing for the championship just about every year. Well, yeah, and I mean some of that is talent, but some of it is they figured out the system and you know, they've gone off in their own direction and they really don't give a damn what anybody else thinks. I mean, I specifically point to the Patriots, okay? You you say this all the time, and I think you're right. Many NFL GMs, winning is secondary. What's most important is giving their fan base something to talk about. So they'll make moves in the off season that may lead to an 8-8 eight and eight season, but it'll put fannies in the seats. There'll be enough interest early that people will come. They'll hang in there all year. They know their roster is not constructed to have any remote chance of winning a Super Bowl. The Patriots don't play like that. They don't give a damn. They trade guys when they think it's time to trade them. They manage their salary cap. They see guys out there that they see a hidden value for what they want to do. I mean, just look at what they've done in the last few years. Uh, you know, they, they, they traded Chandler Jones over to the Cardinals. They didn't give a damn. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're a defensive end. You sack quarterbacks. Uh, that's nice. We can't pay you what you're going to think you're worth. So here you go. Go play for Arizona. Sign a big contract with them. Middle of this season, uh, you know, they trade Collins over to the, the Browns. He just signs a deal for $13 million a year with the Cleveland Browns. They go make the Super Bowl without him. They just don't care. They, they figured it out. Yeah, they're almost like uh, really hot um, stockbrokers, and I'm gonna—I know when to dump stock. I know when to pick it up. Uh, I just know what to do with it, and it just kind of treated the players on this team like stocks. And uh, they've been Warren Buffett good with their personnel, and uh, that has, you know, given them a decided edge when it comes to the thing. This, and also being able to block out distractions. So let's get into uh, the analysis of this thing. I'm gonna just come and tell you. Right now, up front, um, I listen. I've watched over the years when teams that have not been to the Super Bowl, when you've got a, a roster full of guys that have not been in this situation before. I've seen the effect on it, and uh, we have that with the Atlanta Falcons, and they're going in here against um, someone who, like I said, seems to be at this thing every other year. They're going to be experienced. They're going to know what to do. Uh, not only this week, but two weeks leading up to this thing. And I think that gives the New England Patriots a tremendous advantage in this. And that's before we even get into the genius of Belichick and his ability to be able to take away what it is you do best. And we all know what that is for the Atlanta Falcons, and that is Julio Jones. 
Um, fortunately for Atlanta in this thing, they didn't pile up all these points this year because they only have one guy on this team. In fact, uh, when Julio Jones uh, was out for a couple of games this year, they continued to pile up the uh, points and the yards and everything else. However, if you're going to win in this biggest game, you're going to need something out of this guy. And I just like New England's ability to be able to, to limit that. Um, Atlanta is going to have to get the most out of their running game. And it's been very difficult this year, Emil, to run on the New England Patriots. That's been brought home to me in these playoff games. Um, I've not been all that, um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. I've, you know, I've not given them a tremendous amount of credit during the season, the New England Patriots I'm talking about. I've been um, a little bit leery of them. But at this point, what they've shown me over these last two games um, I'm kind of biting, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, I'm seeing just how difficult it is for them to, for teams to run the ball. So if you're in a situation, you're in the Atlanta Falcons, you really can't run the ball the way that you want to against New England, and you can't get the ball the way that you want to to your wide receiver, uh, Julio Jones, I think you're at a serious disadvantage in this game. Um, and then you also factor in the nerves and the jitters and everything else that goes into this. Amal, I really have to. This looks easy. Patriots only three-point favorites, um, and the Patriots tend to win their Super Bowls by three points, but I have really no choice here but to go with the experienced New England Patriots team that seems super motivated, um, due in large part to what happened at the beginning of the season with Tom Brady. I don't know well, if you agree. Let, let me stop you in a few spots, though, in your analysis before I give you my pick. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to take away Jones without giving something up, and I think they'll be willing to do that. I could actually see them kind of doing what Penn State did to your school in the mid-'80s. I could see Belichick basically laying out a defense out there that does try to just take Jones away, because I don't think they have a guy that can – I don't know if there's a guy in the league right now that can just go one-on-one and take Jones away. So I think he'll take him away, and he'll force – the Falcons to be very patient and that that's going to be the test for the Falcons I mean he may allow them to run the ball so listen you know you want to start on your own 20 and you want to run it eight out of ten plays I might be willing to give you 60 or 70 yards and you know bet that they can't do that I think there may be some of that available early in the game until adjustments are made I don't know if Atlanta will be patient enough to do that I think they can probably expose the Patriots linebackers with their running backs out of the backfield a little bit. I, I still think as, as good as New England's defense has played, I still don't see them as being, you know, able with linebackers to cover those running backs. But, again, that requires patience. So, you know, to net all this out, I'm with you, even though I think there's going to be opportunities for Atlanta to move the football if they can be patient. I'm not sure – that's in their nature. I think at some point the jitters, as you point out, are, are going to force Ryan to take some chances wanting to get that ball to Jones. And, you know, there could be a turnover or two here that turns this game, you know, a little bit lopsided. At the end of the day, I think you're going to get about a 10-point game. The Patriots have been the kings. As you point out, they won every Super Bowl. I believe that they've won by three points. So I'm kind of stepping out with you saying I think this one is one that they – they're going to win by 10. I don't think they're going to kill them. I think it'll be a back and forth. I think there'll be a turnover or something. It just turns this in the right direction, and the Patriots, you know, maybe come away 30 to 20, something like that. Yeah, and, and you know, 
the what happens early in this game is going to be big for Atlanta. You know, uh, you are up against this juggernaut, the New England Patriots. So if you can come out early and have some serious success, then the momentum gets going. And, you know, they're very much a, uh, a team that can get hot and get flowing. But if you come out and those jitters get the best of you and you, you're fumbling the ball, you're dropping passes when you're wide open and, you're, you know, you're, you're making mistakes in coverage and you let New England get out there, it's going to be very tough. For the, for the Falcons to get back in this thing. And I'm a little concerned that that's what might happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you there. I can see that. I could see something like that. You know, again, I keep saying the word patient. I'm not sure. I guess as a defensive guy, I think you see where I'm going with this. I don't think they can just take a guy on New England's defense in the secondary and say, okay, we're going to take Jones away. You go cover him. They're going to need to use, obviously – It'll be a collaborative effort. It would be sending a safety over the top of a cornerback. Yes. They may just try to put Malcolm Butler on him. You know, I, I don't know if that's the move you make, but um, they'll do what they need to do there. And, and, you know, I understand it might open up something else. I'm going to rely on the genius of Belichick when it comes to this. No, and I'm, I, again, I'm with you. I think the nerves, you can't underplay that here. I think it's, it's going to be big. Uh, I know they're all professional athletes, but, you know, uh, you might see some eyes like saucers. Uh, their defense is young. Uh, I, I think Brady will have some some success uh, finding some holes there. Um, I, I know some of their defensive statistics were skewed negatively because of how fast they scored and, and stuff like that during the year, but still they're very young, um, which usually doesn't lend itself in this kind of game. I think he'll catch a few guys out of position with audibles in different spots like he did in the Pittsburgh game. So, you know, it's hard for me in this kind of situation. As much as I'd love to see an upset, I just – I have to roll with the Patriots with you. Yeah, and that's how I approach this thing. Um, yes, uh, you know, the Patriots are the big bad guys, so everyone would expect perhaps or most would expect a victory here for them. And so I approached it in the way of um, let me try and find – a way for Atlanta to win this game. And uh, when I could come up with those ways, I just found the other ways that it would work against them. And as much as I tried to do that, it's as much as um, a New England victory kept coming to my face. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to play against that. I just, I'm, I'm going to go with it. It's, it's In my mind, it seems easy, Emil. Um, and sometimes you just, what's that saying about the gift horse in the mouth and all yeah, that? Yeah, no, not, no, listen, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think there's more ways that New England can win this game than Atlanta. Like, let, let me put it this way. If it gets into a shootout, New England could still be your winner, okay, because they can score on Atlanta, I believe. Conversely, if New England somehow gets this game down and dirty and, you know, low, lower scoring than expected, a little bit sloppy, as we like to say in a phone booth, I don't know if Atlanta wins that type of game. So... It's easier for me to come up with ways New England can win, as you just said, than it is for me to come up with any, you know, more ways for uh, Atlanta to to win. And that, therefore, when I look at it and I say, you know, it, I'm not even saying it's easy. See, you you you're more confident than me. I don't know if it's an easy pick just because the Patriots don't have a history of blowing people out in Super Bowl. But I just, it's hard for me to go against them. Yeah, I just like the uh, experience factor. And uh, that New England, as opposed to some other Super Bowls that they've been in recently, uh, I've discussed this with you on the show before, when the Patriots were first in this whole Super Bowl thing, 
uh, they relied more on uh, their running game. And after a while, when Tom Brady became this star, it was more five wide. We're going to toss the ball around. And, you know, I just didn't think that that was the, the greatest thing in the world for them. And they ended up losing a couple Super Bowls, uh, you know. Uh, and they just, you know, they just weren't, not Super Bowls, but they just had a hard time, you know, getting back to things. And they weren't what they needed to be. And now I think they realize that you need that factor. You, sometimes you need to just turn around and hand the football um, to to your running back, to, to LeGarrette Black. Let me, let let me throw off. this at you. We, we have a couple minutes left. I want to hear uh, – somebody asked me this question yesterday. Um, you know, and I, and you know, and I answered it. I answered it kind of. I, I I didn't I didn't answer it, but I answered it. They said to me, "Do you think this is Brady's you know last trip?" And I said, "Well, God, who knows?" But I said, "I know one thing." I said, "No matter how good someone is, Father Time is still undefeated." So you know, I guess my way of answering right. it was, you know, I'm not going to bet against ever getting back there again. But at a certain point, you know. One of these days, he has to act like he's 40 years old, and I don't care what kind of training you do. Yeah, um, so we're both we're both in, in agreement on this thing. Let's see if we got a guy here that could maybe um, be on the other side of this. So, and, and you know, Les has called into the show a lot. You know, he's pretty good at picking games. So let's see where what side Les falls on with the whole uh, Super Bowl prediction thing. Les, how you doing, man? Good Monday morning. What's happening, fellas? What's going on? Hey, Les, how are you? Man, I'm living out here in this beautiful Arizona. Um, I'm like most Americans. Uh, I see a competitive game. I do see um, the New England Patriots defense pressure on on uh, Matty Ice to make a decision trying to get the ball to Julio Jones. I see a competitive game. I don't think. Um, the New England Patriots have seen a team like this this year. Um, they've only allowed about 16 points a game, and this is one of the offenses that if um, if you're a D coordinator, understanding you're not worried because you've seen everything, you know what you have, you basically worry about what you do and what you don't do well. Uh, they have a solid defense. Uh, my concern is that um, – what what if someone in the secondary of New England get hurt? I mean, where mm-hmm. where do they go from there? Um, who will defend Julio Jones? And I, I think, you know, Jenkins is a great cornerback, but, you know, Julio Jones is a different animal. So um, my predictions, a nail-biter, I'm going to say Atlanta by one. Ooh. Hey. Look at what we got yeah, here. He's out on the limb there. Climbing out of the limb of that tree. By one. So are you seeing a high-scoring game or are you seeing a low-scoring game? Are we talking 31-30 or 20-19? to What do you see there? Um, you know, it, actually I see, I see a high-scoring game because, uh, you know, if uh, Atlanta gets going, I mean, you know, Tom Brady has to uh, perform in order to make the game competitive. So I see Atlanta – um, opening up the game, and uh, New England just has the match. And once whoever has the ball last will win the game. And uh, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that it's Atlanta. I mean, I, I, oh, I now, is that a pick with your is that a pick with your heart or your head? Uh, hey man, if you want to challenge me, it's my head. <laughs> <laughs> 
these two questions for you guys. A, can Atlanta win a low-scoring game? B, can the New England Patriots win this game even if Tom Brady is pedestrian? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yes to both? Like, you said, like, like Amos said, um, you take the chance with Matty Ice trying to, you know, have his first big Super Bowl game because he doesn't know if he'll ever return. And will he take chances that he normally wouldn't take? I mean, the last few weeks you've seen Atlanta play precision football and um, it's got him to the Super Bowl. You know, will their defense continue to play well? You know, all those guys step up making plays. Can the defensive line get pressure on Brady? And with New England, you know, you already know what you have. You have a strong secondary. You have great linebackers. You have, you know, physical D linemen. And then you got that offense. And um, if Tom Brady realizes that you, you're scared, I mean, he's going to take advantage of you. I mean, I see uh, Bennett having a great game this year. I mean, this the Super Bowl. Uh, as much mm-hmm. as he talked, I see him playing a very big role in this in this game. Um, it just depends on how everybody else performs. And uh, hey, let's not forget. You know, you got you mentioned that can can they win if Brady's pedestrian? You know, don't forget that the Patriots are pretty good. You know, at figuring out your weakness. We've seen them do this before, you know, over the years, where every once in a while they'll just come out and have a guy or as a team run the ball for 200 yards. They'll find something on the film that says, you know what, we're going to run the ball until they stop it. I mean, remember a couple of years ago that guy, Gray, goes for 200 yards one day and then we never hear from him again. Right. <laughs> Jonas, Jonas Gray, one of my guys too, man. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so, he did something wrong, right? He missed a meeting or something, and then Bill just threw him in the doghouse forever. That 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 doesn't happen in the league. You can do that in college, not not in the pros. Yeah, and certainly nope. not as a member of the New England Patriots. Well, Les, man, we appreciate you coming on. You threw you threw the you threw the ball over the fence. So we got two New England Patriots and one Atlanta Falcons. Makes this thing even more fun on Sunday. Thanks for coming on. Love y'all, man. Y'all have a good one, man. Enjoy your week. You too, Les. Take care. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Amon, when we get back, we've got one segment left. We're going to talk about another Super Bowl that's going to happen this week. I'll tell you what that is when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. No matter how hard you try, you can stop this now. No matter how hard you try, you can stop this now. The 707 season, summer basketball, family picnics, all around the corner, and you're paying big money for t-shirts from screen printers? Why? Screen printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay an even higher price. More colors mean higher prices. How do we solve this? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, Put any wording you want, print it on your inkjet print paper, and using the proper paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, you can get this the way that you want it. There's no limit to the amount of color or the design. You can transfer a photograph using this paper. It's great for team sports. It's great for family reunions. It's great for birthday grips. The t-shirt is part of the American culture, and now you can design your own. Don't worry if you haven't done it before. T-Shirt Supplies has the first-rate customer service. They will help you get the paper you want for your project and steer you in the right direction. 
visit them now at tshirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirts, no hyphen, supplies, plural, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. That's 1-877-85-PAPER. T-shirtsupplies.com. Go there now. Hey, hey, hey. Do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code Gridiron Studs when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Don't go through up and down. Come on. Get a grip. Because AI is AI, we got to go through that and we'll go through it. Do ups and downs include throwing your wife out naked? Excuse me? Do ups and downs include throwing your wife out naked? Don't get out of my face with that crazy that's, stuff. That's, that's what you're Where you get that from? That's here. Because somebody told it to you? Did someone tell you that? Yeah. I'm asking you. Don't ask me nothing. Did someone tell you that? I haven't spoken with someone. All right, then. Don't go there with me. Don't go there with me. Don't go there with me. You want to keep it real, you keep it real with me. Because I ain't for no game, okay? Pussy Ham Productions. Don't piss Alan Iverson's mom off. Porter learned that lesson way back no, in the day. You don't want to do that. No, no, no. She went uh, full go, full commando on that uh, interview there. Well, listen, um, We've got another Super Bowl happening this week, and it happens every year, Amal, and it happens on the first Wednesday in February, and I'm talking about National Signing Day as uh, college football prospects, not just college football prospects, but that gets uh, all of the attention. Uh, College hopefuls, athletes, uh, signed their national letter of intent and uh, on this Wednesday. We'll be doing that again, Amal. You're a big-time USC fan. Uh, so I know you follow recruiting. Can you dig into your memory banks and think of the signing by the USC Trojans that made you the most excited? Okay, well, my, my memory banks, now you got to remember, I'm only going to go back probably 10 to 15 years because that's when this really got big. Remember, the old days, you just found out after the fact a lot of times, right? Right. So, you call the 900 uh, number for the paper the next day. Yeah, yeah, you didn't, you know, you didn't no idea. Um, I, I'll tell you the one that got me excited, and it's sad because I sent you an article about it. I was really excited when they signed Joe McKnight mm. because yeah, it was I, coming off the Bush, you know, the Bush era. 
So you kind of felt like McKnight was was the next Bush. Yeah, and I can understand that. He's a, a tremendous talent uh, in high school. And you guys went all the way down into Louisiana to grab that kid. You know, it wasn't a local yeah. L.A. guy. You went down into Louisiana and you felt like you, you pulled one out of the South. And, uh, yeah, I can certainly understand it. And it, I think it has to be a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, obviously, Joe McKnight's career, while good uh, for USC, did not match um, you know Reggie Bush's, which would have been difficult to do anyway, but it just didn't. There has to there has to be a tremendous amount of uh, pressure on on any running back that signs uh, with the USC Trojans. I, I remember there being a guy around my time uh, named Estrus Creighton. I don't know if we can remember that, but I saw that guy in high school. He played around the time that I did in high school. I thought he was an outstanding talent. Went to USC and was you know when you compare him to the other greats, they're pedestrian. Um, so when right. your history is Garrett and it's Simpson and it's White and it's Allen and it's you know and Bush and all these guys, tremendous amount of pressure when you're running back for USC. Well, they have a kid coming in this year that's you know one of the top you know supposedly he's coming in you know until they sign I don't count them as there but he's one of the top three running backs in the country is this Stephen Carr, a kid from uh, from California. You know, six foot, a couple hundred pounds. You know, probably put a little weight on him, but he's ranked by ESPN as the third best running back in the country. So they, you know, they, they, adding to that tradition, they have one coming in supposedly. Can I also do this and ask you who surprised you the most? Because I, you know, I've got one for the Miami Hurricanes for me, and I probably shouldn't have been surprised. But as much as you would have expected from this guy, you still were, you still were kind of a, you were amazed by what he did while he was out there on the field, despite the injuries. And that one for me is Frank Gore. I mean, he was a great running back in high school. Great. Uh, did a lot. I loved the yards and all that. But just how he looked uh, when he when he actually got on that college football field was just outstanding, ridiculous. I wish he'd never, you know, torn his ACL twice because I think we were robbed of the true greatness of what Frank Gore uh, would have been in college. Yeah, and that's and that's pretty amazing because he was still great. But no, that that's one. You know, it's funny. The one that surprised me the most is the guy playing right now for them. In my side, I mean, honestly, anybody who tells you as a USC fan, unless they were really really close to the program, but as, nobody saw Sam Darnold coming when signing day happened two years ago. Nobody. Oh. Yeah, um, no. Colin Cowherd says he took he, he went to one practice, saw the kid throw the ball around, and just knew he was going to be uh, a guy. Well, and that may that may have been at one practice. I'm not even going to debate Colin on that and say that he you know he's lying or he's full of crap because I've heard that once everybody saw him. Like let's put I told you a story a couple shows ago. The big kid in that class was Ricky Town. He was the right. guy getting all the publicity. They had poached him right out of Alabama's class. Um, he was ranked the number two quarterback in the country that year behind Rosen, who's currently at UCLA. And, he, you know, everybody talked about Town. I think Town lasted two, three practices before he saw Donald throw the ball around and say, okay, I'm transferring. <laughs> I'll see you later. Well, I, I, to Arkansas, I think he's trying to transfer from Arkansas now. So, you know, it's get t- it gets yeah. tough as a quarterback when you start transferring. Uh, the big problem for them is you leave, you go somewhere else, you got to get integrated into that system, and you got to do it fast because there's other guys there um, that you got to you got to get ahead of the curve on them. And so if you aren't the guy 
there after a couple, then you start thinking about, man, I got to go somewhere else. So it's, it's a tough deal when you've got to transfer as a quarterback. I think Alabama's had two or three guys leave out of there. And then Texas A&M suffered a rash of quarterback transfers uh, a year or two ago. Uh, you know, since I left the University of Miami, the, the, the guy I was the most excited about coming um, was, was Sean Taylor. Just having to be able to – seeing what that guy did in high school, just how dominant he was. Now, he wasn't playing against the creme de la creme uh, in South Florida, but it didn't matter. All those kids he played against out there were his sons. If you can see anything on Sean Taylor in high school, he just um, – big cousin in the backyard with the little cousin. This is exactly what it looked like. And I was just so anxious right. to see what this guy would do um, at the University of Miami. Crazy as this sounds, because it just doesn't happen in this day and age, he had to sit and wait. There was some dude named Ed Reed playing ahead of him, and he had to wait before he could get out there. But when he did, it was all hell. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you, like you said, there's another guy, you know, tragedy, you know, the pro career cut short by his, you know, way too early death. Um, it's a shame because there was a guy that, you know, who knows what he would have done the, at the next level, you know, if he stayed around long enough. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were certainly robbed of that. But, all right, it's the same usual suspects, Emil, uh, right now. And uh, according to Rivals, the top team recruiting rankings as it stands right now, we're two days out from National Signing Day. Um, it's the usual suspects. Number one class, uh, no surprise here, at Alabama. Um, and you don't think Nick would have it any other way, especially on the heels of losing that championship game. Number two is Ohio State, so it's Nick and Urban again. Number three is Georgia. Kirby Smart um, getting it done on the recruiting trail. Uh, and, and they're probably the most talked about in this recruiting cycle about what they're doing. Um, and, and number four is Michigan. And number five, Oklahoma. So it's all it's your usual suspects. Your USC Trojans are number nine. But it's the same guys every year, Emil. What, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, it's that's the thing about college sports. You know, once you get it going, it kind of feeds itself on a lot of these programs. Uh, especially, you know, you know and this is what I've, you know, same subject but a little different. This is why I've, I've heard people saying it's going to be hard for Oregon to get back to where they're at because the stuff that made them successful on the back to where they were because what made them successful on the recruiting trail was not their history. It was all the cool things they had that they were doing that were new, from the new facilities to the helmets to the uniforms. But now everybody's doing that. So you get back to where I'm going with this is, historically, these are the teams that have dominated college football over decades, and that's why you usually find the same group in the top 15. Yeah, you know, uh, looking at it, only two teams, uh, three teams in this top 10 have not committed any five stars, USC being one of them. Um, does that concern you at all? Are you one of these guys that feels like you Well, have no, only because of a couple of things. Um, USC will, will most likely, hopefully, I'm not throwing the jinx on them, have a, a big Wednesday. Uh, they have a couple kids that are, are most likely USC guys, one of them being that five-star receiver, Lewis from L.A., um, so I, I think when it's all said and done, I, and I hope I'm prophetic here, I think they will have a five-star or two in this class. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, the whole waiting to signing day thing is becoming bigger and bigger 
as kids want this attention. I want to tell you something that it's or that irks me. Um, and you know what? It's not entirely the kids' fault. It's just the it's just the environment that has been set up around them. Uh, when you have outfits like Rivals and 247 Sports and Scout and, and all of the uh, camps and competitions that they go to and social media and the interviews and everything else, you've set up this prima donna, you know, status for these kids. And some of them just go overboard and seeking the attention. And I've just noticed this, Emil, by and large, the majority of these kids that need all this type of attention during recruiting um, struggle a lot when they do finally get into the college game. Well, because once you get there, the, the the coach is done trying to impress you. You signed up now. <laughs> you got to earn it. I mean, you're, he's right. done trying to impress you. The whistle sounds the same way for a five-star as it does a three-star. Um, and it seems like these guys are focused on the wrong thing during the process. And um, when it gets down to what it really is about, they just seem to be overwhelmed or maybe not as interested. Um, they really wanted all of that attention and to be told how great they were and, you know, do the whole signing day or the whole commitment thing. You see you see now that uh, after your boy Biggie, Biggie Marshall's uh, video that he made with his commitment, this has become a regular thing now. Bleacher Reports has oh, yeah. turned this into a whole new yeah. industry. The guy I'm interested so, in seeing um... – from my perspective, and I, I'm just curious to see where he goes, is uh, the, that defensive tackle from Georgia, Solomon. Uh, USC made his final three, I believe, with Michigan, and I think it's Alabama. But he was an early commit, if my memory serving me correctly, to Michigan. And I think he was the one they spelled his name incorrectly on the thank you note or something, him and his mother. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he reopened his, his recruiting and I know Kenichi Udizi is the recruiter on him, and he's a pretty personable guy, and he had a pretty darn good career at USC, cut short in the NFL. I think he, he had leukemia, but he since beat it, obviously, as a USC defensive line coach. I'm curious to see if we can poach one there from uh, deep in the south. Yeah, so, um, yeah, a couple of good things for, for USC. Uh, but the more kids pushing to – to signing day, um, the more I, I, the more or less we need to really pay attention to the, the, the recruiting rankings at this point, because uh, some of these things are going to change here on signing day as kids uh, grab the appropriate hat or whatever other props it is that they're that, you know they grab now on on national signing day. But um, you know another part of me too says, hey, live it up, enjoy this this time with this thing because it's not you know as you said not going to be like this anymore after this now you're a football player so you know and i always tell fans we all pay real close attention obviously because this is the signing day this year but i always you know you you mark your calendar you know like two years forward you know we talked about uh at the end of the season next year ohio state is is bringing back a lot of kids and you know they're going to be highly regarded alabama every year usc i mean people forget two years ago usc had the number one class in the country the 2015 class well Mark your calendar two years forward. They're they're juniors now, so this is when next year should be their coming out party. And that's why you kind of you look at this year, and I tell people, okay, look at this year, and then kind of if you're a new guy in the block, not necessarily Alabama, look at 2019 because that's when this year's class is probably going to start coming together as a whole. You'll have certain guys that make early contributions, but two years from now, whoever's you know doing well, like Georgia, has a good class coming in. 
um, that's going to bode well for them down the road as that quarterback matures. Yeah, which brings up an interesting point. I will be talking about this uh, more tomorrow night, so it seems like a good time to to uh, give this programming announcement. The pre-NSD Gridiron Stud Show will be on tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, 7 p.m., uh, as we'll talk to several reporters from around the country, uh, from 247 Scout and Rivals, uh, and a full discussion uh, about National Signing Day, who's going where, the rumors and everything else, as well as discussion about uh, you know Signing Day and the recruiting process. So we'll be doing that tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, on the Gridiron Stud Show. But uh, I went back and looked at some things, Amal. The 2014 class, I think it's the one you really need to look to um, with respect to what happened on the field this year uh, because kids play sooner, so these guys were juniors and so on and so forth, and that's really what teams are made up of. Uh, when you go back and look at this, I found some interesting things in your recruiting rankings. First of all, your Clemson Tigers, uh, your national champions, were not in the top ten uh, in terms of a recruiting class. Uh, they were 13 overall that year, falling behind teams like Miami and Notre Dame and USC. Think right. about that. Notre Dame had the 11th-ranked recruiting class in the country, and I think they just finished at 4-8 and eight this season. So. Um, well, you had to. yeah, but you make you make a great point there. But you know, don't forget now that 2014. You're right. Clemson was 12th, or did you say 12th? 13. 13. So 2015, though, they came right back with the number four class. And you know, when you put, you know, they've had. In other words, they've they, they've they've been on this trend every year, Clemson, of putting together strong classes. And I think that's where you've seen the rise of of Clemson football again. It's not just one class. That's that's going to get you over the top. To your point earlier in the segment about every year it seems like it's the same culprits. Well, that's how you build a program. It's you can't just have one clash usually. You need a few. Sure. How about the, the biggest finds I've found though? Uh, the number forty-one um, recruiting ranked class this year, according to rivals in two thousand fourteen, was South Florida. Just uh, won double-digit games for the first time in their school's history. Ended up going eleven and three. Uh, Washington, who did things this year that they hadn't done in many, many years, was at the 37th-ranked class. Louisville, uh, yep. um, at the end, had a disappointing uh, season, but a, a damn good one by Louisville standards, 36th-ranked class. Wisconsin, who played in the championship game for their conference, 33. Um, Michigan, who has since then, you know, put together some better classes, 31st that year. So, um, you know, I know fans – Go and then Michigan State, who's made it, you know, made it their point not to be in the top 20 every year, but still put together solid teams. It didn't have a great year this year, but um, really good at developing talent. But you know, I know fans go crazy and they drive themselves almost to drink, really, uh, with the signing and decommitment and commitment of each uh, player and prospect for each given class. And where is our class ranked? Um, doesn't always tell the complete story. You know, some teams, some staff, some some uh, programs are better at developing talent than others. They're also better at getting the most out of the class than others in terms of just keeping guys on the roster and having them play. Well, yeah, I was going to say this is a beginning, not an end, because the other thing a lot of fans lose track of, just because they put their name on the line Wednesday, uh, a lot of them will not qualify. You'll have all kinds of issues that arise between, you know, say this this signing day and next year where you, you could go back and look at some of these classes and three, four, five guys are no longer on the roster. So, you know. It happens quite a bit. You, you, people realize. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you you got you got to take it all with a grain of salt. It's it's a start. It's a start. It's good to have a nice class come in. There's no doubt talent helps, but it's not the end of of the story. Yeah. So the Super Bowl of uh, college uh, of high school and college football recruiting is coming up on Wednesday. Don't be fooled by that silly thing that Alabama and Clemson did. Um, you know earlier <laughs> this. <laughs> the real deal. Go yeah. Right. On, uh, on National signing day. So that's how. That, yeah, that's what we're looking for. That's what I fans seem to be more jacked up about national signing day than uh, national championship. And you know, I guess the big part of that is that everyone gets to participate in that. When you get down to the end, it's just those two schools. So, um, really, really big deal uh, coming up here on Wednesday. And again, national signing day gridiron stud show tomorrow at seven o'clock. Well, my friend, we got an early Super Bowl pick in. Um, and you'll have to stay tuned this week to uh, see if we can indeed have a Football Friday show. It uh, would seem weird not to have one. But whatever, the most important thing we would have talked about on that Friday, we got out there for you guys today, and that is who we think the Super Bowl winner is going to be. Both Amla and I think it's going to be the uh, New England Patriots. My man Les uh, thinks it's going to be the Atlanta Falcons, so that makes it interesting. So. Uh, we got it done. We got it taken care of. And so uh, we we would like to thank you guys for listening. Again, Gridiron Stud Show National Signing Day Show is tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Be sure to rejoin and uh, check that one out. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. Enjoy the rest of your day. all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges, step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. we got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen.